Let's go into God's Word. I'm pretty excited about this Word. We're in a series. We are in week three of a four-week series called Uncertain. Uncertain. If you want to follow along, all of the projections are going to be behind me. You can, uh, you can follow along that way, uh, or you can go to version and follow along with all the notes. In this series, we're going to discuss four different versions of God that do not exist. We're, we're, we're going to discuss four different ver- uh, versions of God that really does, does not exist because they are fabrications of what people think and what they believe about God that are just not true. It's just not true. So we are going to be talking about uh, some of the hurdles and the challenges that people seem to have in their faith, walking with God, trying to understand the things of God. And there are a lot of people who want to believe in God, but something happened in their life. Something has happened, something happened in their past, some reason, some hurdle that keeps them from completely turning over to Christ, to give them their lives, to believe in Him. So my thought and my argument with this series that I'm sharing with everybody is that I believe that there are so many people that are not rejecting the one true God Maybe they don't really know him as the one true God yet, but for those of us who do and we struggle and we deal with doubt and confusion about the things of God, uh, what, what we find here, what we believe here is that those who, um, those who are, I, I don't believe for a moment that they're rejecting the one true God, but they are rejecting the distorted view, the distorted view of who they think that God is because that view is wrong. It's a wrong view of God. So week one, what we dealt with with week one in this series, we talked about the on-demand God. The on-demand God. What, when God. what God will do is give us everything we want. We just name it and he's going to do it. No, that God doesn't even exist. Number two, we talked about, week number two, we talked about our killjoy God, which was last Sunday, our killjoy God, God who robs us of all fun and makes life boring and has too many rules to follow along. I don't want to be a dud. I don't want to follow a killjoy God. Well, that God doesn't exist either. This week, we're going to be talking about our goosebump God, our goosebump God. Anybody get any goosebumps right now? No, I don't think you have either. I want, I, want to, uh, I want to believe in God, but I don't feel him, is what they say. How do you believe in a God that you can't see? How do you believe in a God that you can't hear him speak audibly? How do you believe in a God that, that you, you, you don't even feel? You, you don't feel his presence. You don't really feel him. I want to believe in a God that I can feel, is what they say. I want to believe in a God that I can feel. Now, hope, hopefully, uh, I want to show you that the presence, uh, the presence of God is way bigger than just feelings, folks. It's way bigger. We're going to go deep today. You need to be prepared. We're going to go rather deep today. But it's more than just feelings. And if you don't always, uh, if you don't always feel God's presence, I want to let you know you're not alone. If for whatever reason in your life, you're not feeling the presence of God. You've given your life over to Jesus. And you're not feeling it. I'm here to tell you, you're not alone. In fact, go with me in your, in your Bibles to, to uh, Psalm 88, verses 13 and 14. The psalmist says these words. He says, but I cry to you. I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer, be, uh, my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? What this psalmist is saying, he says, God, I need you. I need your help. I want to feel you. I want to feel your presence. But it's like heaven is silence. It's almost like this ceiling that's over me right now. It's stopping me from getting to you, from hearing you and knowing what you would be doing. God, I need your presence. But you're not answering me. You're not answering me. A spiritual great in the Bible, I want to share with you, you know, if you're not feeling the presence of God, you're not alone. So let me talk about a couple of people that you probably know in the Bible. 
Number one is David. King David. David was, uh, according to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, I believe it is, God said about David that David was a man after my own heart, is what the scriptures declare. We also know that David had some very intimate times with God throughout his walk with God, throughout his time as king and all the things that he had done. And one of the things, not only did God say he's a man after my own heart, but he also wrote Psalm 23. And one of my favorite verses in Psalm 23 is, even though I walk through the valley, through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me is what they said, is what David says. There are other times, multiple times, multiple times that David would cry out to God and he would say, where are you? Why are you allowing the enemy to overpower me? I don't sense you, God. You were with me and I heard you, but I'm not hearing you any longer. Well, that's David. There's someone a little bit more famous than David and a little bit more important than David, and that's Jesus himself. Jesus. Jesus who who walked in the most intimate fellowship with God than anyone ever. Moments before his death on the cross, Because God would not look upon the sin that his son was bearing for our sin, giving his life for our sin that Jesus was given us. The Bible tells us that Jesus cried out with a loud voice and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's Jesus. If you don't always feel God's presence, my friend, you're not alone. You're not alone. I have maybe three different reasons why you just may not be feeling God all the time. Let me share a couple, three. This is going to be really quick. Maybe you are over-sensationalizing this. Maybe you're over-sensationalizing this. And that's exactly what the, what the disciples did with Jesus. In John chapter 6, verse 30, so they asked Jesus, what sign then will you give that we will see it, that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Jesus, if you are God, show us some kind. Give us some big, bold sign that says, that screams, ta-da, here's God. We want that because we want to feel you. We want to know that you're there. We want those goosebumps because I want to hear your voice. I want you, I want to feel you, God. A couple of thoughts behind that first point, and that is number one, We have to understand that feelings are not evidence of God's presence in our life. You need to understand that. It doesn't happen all the time. You don't always get the tingly jinglies. It's not that kind of thing that happens. And secondly, what you need to understand is that if we always felt God, if every second, every moment of our life we're feeling God, we get the tingle jingles, we get the goosebumps, if that be the case, then you don't need your faith. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews eleven six, not in your notes, it says this, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We need to exercise our faith to please God is what the Bible says. So, the last thing I want to say about this point is this, and this is very important to me. I don't want you to ever, ever forget, if you've given your life to Jesus, I don't want you to ever forget what the scripture declares as far as promises that come your way and my way, especially for those of us who are not feeling it. For those of us who, for whatever reason, it's been a few months now since I felt God or since I've heard God. I don't want you to ever forget the promises. My favorite, my favorite promise in all of the Bible, the promise, now there's a lot of good things in the Bible, but this is my favorite promise, and that is Isaiah 41.10. 
And those words are, fear not, God says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand, is what God says. That is a promise that you and I can stand on. And if you agree with me, give the Lord a round of applause. Would you do that? He's a great God. Come on, church. Number two, maybe another reason why you're not hearing from God is maybe your heart is hardened. Maybe your heart is hardened. Listen, man, honestly, that happens with every single one of us. Every one of us at some time or another in our walk with God, our heart gets hard for whatever reason. You, you get saved. You, something has happened to you. You felt something. You, you heard something. You, you, touch, you were touched by something that changed your life, and you gave your life over to Christ. And when you do that, when that happens, when your sins are forgiven you, and you come to know Christ in a very personal way, I'm telling you that is a major deal. That is a big deal that happens happens for each and every one of us. It's, in, it's an incredible experience. But if you are not discipled in the scriptures, if you're not learning and growing in the things of God's word, and if we give our, our heart over to Jesus and continue on in our sinful ways, listen, sin separates us. Sin separates us from God. Sin is the number one cause for a heart to become hardened. In Hebrews chapter 3, the New Living Translation says, he, says it this way. You must warn each other every day, the Bible says. Warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened. Hardened against God is what the scripture says. So what's the answer then to our, our hardened heart? Well, number one, don't be deceived by sin. If you are involved with sin, and my friend, you know when you're involved with sin. This isn't a big guess. When you are involved with sin, you need to admit that. And secondly, you need to confess your sin to God. King David got in a lot of trouble. He did something really, really bad. He really did. And David knew that he needed to repent before God to be forgiven. Let me give you a couple of scriptures in, in Psalm 51, verses 10 through 13. David repenting for, before God for what he had done. He says these words, he says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take the Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you is what David's prayer was and what would take place. David knowing that he needed to repent before God he repented for his sin. But go with me a little bit further to verse 16 and 17 of the same chapter. Listen to this. David declares this in his prayer. He says, you do not desire sacrifice or I would offer you one. You do not want to, uh, you, you don't want a, a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. It's a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. What David is saying with all of that, that the Lord would accept the sacrifice offered, but it needs to be with re genuine repentance. It needs to be sincere. So if you walk into this room today and you know that you did something last night you shouldn't have done, I mean, it's one thing to walk in here and say, man, I just really messed up, God, would you forgive me? I mean, there could be some sincerity in that, but if you think you can just check off the fact that you're gonna be forgiven of your sin just simply because you said the word forgive me. No, we need to be repentant. We need to be a people that are going in one direction and all of a sudden because of that sin, we know we need to go in the other direction. We need to repent. We need to repent. I didn't think I'd get one, one amen. So let's go to number three. I'm just kidding with you. Point number three, why you may not be feeling God is maybe, maybe God wants to draw you closer. This is good news. 
Maybe God wants to draw you closer. Acts chapter 17, verse 26. I love this. This is such a stinking cool couple of verses I'm going to read to you. From one, from one man, the Bible says, Acts 17, 26. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. The scripture is saying here, you, me, us, we're here as an appointed time of God. He created us. I was born April 20th, 1955, and, uh, and, and that was God's plan for me to come into this world at this time, at this place. That's what Paul is saying. That's what Paul is saying to each and every one of us. And then he gives us the why behind all of that. He gives us the why behind all of that. In verse 27, listen, God did this so that they would seek him. God did this so that you and you and you and our family and our friends and our co-workers and other, everybody, every person on the planet, that we would seek him, the Bible says, that they should, they should inhabit the whole earth and that, he would, uh, and that he marked out their appointed times in history. I, I'm sorry, I went back to the old verse. Going back, staying with verse 27. God did so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. He's not far from us, but God did all of this so that we would be a people that would ultimately seek him, that we would want God and seek after him. God did that so we would seek him beyond anything that God could ever do. God wants to encounter you. God wants to encounter me. God wants to encounter us. You see, our God, our God is, is way more than just our goosebump God. It's deeper than that, much deeper. We're gonna go deep. So it's much deeper than that. It's much deeper. Uh, we believe here at Word of Life that our God is the living God. And he can do more in a, in a single moment he can do more in a single moment in and through his mighty presence with, the, uh, with it being authentically touching us and changing our lives as we would never imagine. We need that beyond anything that we could ever think of that God would do. In that millisecond that God begins to speak to us and God begins to move in us, he begins to bring change immediately within our lives and within our hearts. So let's go deeper. Let's go deeper again. I, I want you to think back of a time in your life or something happened to you, something for the good or something for the bad. And that marked you. That was a defining moment for you, good or bad. It's probably happened a number of times, three, four, five times, maybe a hundred times. It's one of those things that have happened to you. It's where you know that, that something was said or something that was done that shaped your life for the good or it shaped your life for the bad however it may be with your life, with your situation. It was something that changed you and put you on that path that God has for your life. I want to share with you very quickly a story that I shared a few years ago about myself that would bring the point here to surface with what I'm dealing with. My story is dealing with a bad moment for me that happened for me, the, something that I had done that was a bad moment for my life. Um, I got saved on July 5th, 1971 in Philadelphia, PA. I was a Roman Catholic, 16 years old. And my life, I got radically saved. I really did. I got radically saved. God changed my life in a Roman Catholic church, which is a miracle in and of itself. And about a year and a half after I had gotten saved, I fell from God fast, and I fell from God really hard. Actually, I was worse than I ever was before after I got saved and fell away from God. It was, it was a real difficult time. 
I started getting in trouble, and honestly, I enjoyed getting in trouble. Some of the people I hung around with, some of the things that we did, it was always a real buzz to be able to be a part of that. I'm not proud of any of it. I'm not going to go into any great detail. I, I don't like to talk about this. It's embarrassing, and it was a bad time of my life, but it's to the point of the message today. I did things that I should have never done. I said things that I never should have said, and I've seen things that I wish I'd never seen. I went to a, a party in West Phoenix. I was born and raised here in central New York. I graduated high school here in Phoenix, New York. And uh, we were on the west side. There was different groups of guys that I hung around with. And this was the West, uh, the west Point, the West Phoenix team that I was, guys that I was hanging out with. And uh, we, were, we had this big party that was going on. And uh, it was right there in, right by the, by the locks in, in Phoenix, <clears throat> down by the locks. And uh, a lot of booze. A lot of guys, a lot of gals that were there, and uh, I was actually pretty drunk. I got quite drunk, and I used to drink before I got saved, before I was 16, and now I'm falling away from God, and I'm doing that again, and uh, it was pretty bad. Um, I, I remember that, I, I can remember this whole event as if it was yesterday. There was this shed that was probably about 10 feet high, and uh, there was a bonfire about uh, 10 yards away from that, that shed, and um, uh, Music is going loud. Everybody is screaming and dancing and just having a wild time. There's, there's drugs. There's all kinds of stuff that's there. Everybody is just going a bit crazy. And uh, I had this burning stick in my hand. I, got, I put this stick on fire and I climbed up on the top of that roof. And uh, I'm the only one up there. And everybody starts cheering. When I get in there, they're cheering away that I'm on there. And uh, I, I said this. I did this. Now, before I tell you what I said, I just want to say this. What I'm gonna to say to you is a 17-year-old guy who had given his life to Jesus and I got radically saved. I led my whole family to Christ. I led a lot of friends of mine to Christ. A lot of them knew Jesus. And now here I am, I'm on top of the, the, the shed that's there. I've got this thing that's on fire and I yelled out, everybody's cheering me on, do whatever you're gonna do. And I shout, yelled out, I am the God of hellfire and I bring you fire. You know, and when I did that, they threw something on the, on the uh, uh, fire that was going, and sparks would fly. And they would say, do it again. And I did it again. And I did it again. And I did it again. And then all of a sudden, I come down, and the, the excitement had just left. And I can remember with crystal clarity that event. And I remember being drunk and being high and some of those things that were going on. And, and I just said to myself, drunk, what are you doing why are you doing this? And from that moment, because of that, I just plummeted even deeper. It was even deeper. It was even worse. Falling far, very far from God. And I was marked by that moment that shaped me for bad. And it was horrible. Nothing fun about it at all. I've got a conclusion in just a moment. When you think about your life, my friend, you are marked. You are marked by a moment that shaped you whether it was good or whether it was bad. The same is true even when, when with God. God wants to do something always for the good. And you need to understand that you are marked by God, not, not because of church attendance, not because you're a good person. It's much deeper than that. You are marked by God by those encounters. You are marked by God by those experiences, those, those moments, that aha moment that you would have between you and God. It's something very personal, something very intimate. It's about you. God does the same thing. God does this thing. Some people call them an epiphany. 
it's a very personal, very powerful moment that impacts you in a way as you would never realize. You've probably, if you've been a believer and a follower of God for any length of time, you've probably have experienced that kind of thing many, many times in your walk with God. And really, really, it's where you actually reflect the Lord's glory. Did you hear me? When you have this aha with God, and all of a sudden now you know that God has spoken, God has revealed himself to you, it's, it's where actually you reflect now the Lord's glory. The Bible says that you and me become this reflection of God's glory. So let's go even deeper. We find in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. It says these words, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. All of us, all of us then, reflect the glory of the Lord with uncovered faces. And that same glory coming from the Lord, who is the Spirit, transforms us, transforms us into his likeness in, in an even greater degree of glory. The Apostle Paul is telling us, literally, as believers and followers, that as a result of the encounter that you have with God, as a result of that aha moment, that epiphany, whatever you may want to call it, we actually, in that moment, are reflecting God's glory. What Paul is talking about, that you and I become so close to God that even others can see it. It's happened to you and it's happened to me. There's something different about you. I don't know, but you seem different right now. What's going on in your life is is what people sometimes would say to you and I. There's something that's going on. Let me be very quick and just say to you at the end of the summer of 1970, uh, 1971 when I went down there and got saved, at the end of that month, my brother Mike came down and Ann came down to pick me up uh, to take me back home. They didn't have any clue what happened to me. They didn't have any clue what happened to my oldest, our oldest brother. But Mike and Ann came down and actually what they came down for, not to pick me up, I mean they were going to pick me up, but they went down there to go to a Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young concert is why they went. And they brought with them a little bit of dope and a little bit of stuff, and uh, that was what the whole thing was about. And that was on a Friday night, if I remember. I don't, maybe I got the wrong night. But anyhow, uh, my brother and his wife are there, and they're listening to me and my story. They're listening to my, our oldest brother and his story and his wife. And, and all of a sudden, Mike and Ann got up. They wanted to receive Christ themselves. Then they took all the dope, and they flushed it down the toilet. And my brother has been serving, and his wife have been serving the Lord ever since. I mean, it's a powerful story. It's a powerful story. The Apostle Paul is telling us that those defining moments are transforming us into the likeness of God from one degree of glory to another. Did you hear that? I want you to grab this because this is so important for us. It's life-changing. Those defining moments are transforming us, the Bible says, into the likeness of God from one degree of glory to another. In other words, what, what Paul is saying is something like this. There will be many, many of those kind of encounters. This is what God wants to do with you. God wants to speak to you. God wants to show you things. This, this will not just be a one-time event. This is not just a Sunday morning experience that you would have at Word of Life or whatever church, wherever you would, and, and I would be. God's will is that there are, there are many, many experiences, that there will be many, many encounters that you can have with God. And honestly, one of the things that makes, for me, Christianity to be so exciting and so life-giving and so cutting-edge are those moments, those moments That aha moment when God would speak to me and tell me to do this or to give that or to go there or whatever those things are that God speaks to us about. It changes your whole life when that happens. So please listen, please listen. What you really need to get is this. These encounters, listen, these encounters are not to be just for you. 
When you get that tingly-wingly, when you get that special feeling that comes over you, you know that God has, that's not just for you. It's, now listen, God is good, and sometimes we need to have God give us a tingle-jingle so that we feel better. And it's not bad if that happens. But it's not just for you, and it's not just for me when these kinds of things are happening. Um, Paul tells us, the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, he says, those encounters that we experience with God, those moments are also for both, uh, for, for them to be both light and life. It is to be both light and life to our world, where we're living. That we would, we would be that light as a result of God speaking to us, of the God of heaven speaking into our hearts and lives. It would be life to those who are all around us because we're living in a day and in a time where a majority of people in our world are broken. They're hurting. They're feeling hopeless and many of them are dying. And in my humble opinion, I think that there are just way too many people who are taking their lives these days. And the reason why they're doing it is because they're sick and tired of being sick and tired. It may be that where you and I would, would, uh, would walk into a scene of those kind of precious people that we love. Maybe it would be a broken brother or a broken sister. Maybe it's a family member, a friend. Maybe it's a coworker or someone who works with you at school or goes to school with you. And because of that aha moment, when you walk in on that scene, when you come into that home, when you come into that workplace, and they look at you and they would say something like this, wait a minute, what's different about you? What's going on in, life, in your life? And the fact is, is that you know that you have been transformed by God. You know that God spoke to you. God gave you that moment in your life that all of a sudden you feel God's presence. And they're seeing that. And they're asking you, what's going on? What's going on in your life that you're able to look like you do and seem to be like you are? It's like, it's like your life is shining on them. It's like your light is shining on them. And it's because of that epiphany because it brings life, and it brings hope, and it brings light to each and every one of us. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, it says these words. Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In other words, the Bible is saying this. When you have those epiphanies, when you have those moments with God, and you know you have, you gotta, you got to tell somebody. You, 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 you've got a change that's taken place within your life. Something has taken place within you. You have a story to tell right now. God said this to me. God showed me this. I'm sensing that. And all of a sudden now, you have a story to tell. You need to tell that story. And the reason why you need to tell that story, because it's very hard, it's very hard to try to defeat somebody who has a life-changing story. There's just no way that they can do it. It's hard to argue with a, a changed life. God changes us so that you will be a reflection to our world of that light, of that life, and of the hope that God wants to give everybody. Now listen, I, I'm not new at this, I've been doing this a while, so I'm sure that there's a bunch of you who are sitting here saying, yeah, right. Yeah, we take on the image of God. Yeah, right. Oh, an epiphany, God speaks to me? Yeah, right. I understand that some people are thinking that way. But what is consistent within every <laughs> encounter of the story that you find in both the Old Testament and the New Testament God never encounters a person and just leaves them with that. He never does that. He doesn't just only give you feelings. He just doesn't give you feelings and you just, oh, this feels so good, and then there's nothing more. There's a whole lot more. God never intended, never encountered a person and just leave them and say that's it. 
With every encounter, God says something like this. Okay, now here's what I want you to do with this. Okay, here's what you need to do. In other words, every encounter, every aha moment that we have is a follow-up. There is a follow-up to it. There is a purpose, a plan, a destiny. There is a mission, something that we need to do as a result of God doing something in us. It's always more than just for me, more than just for yourself. It's an encounter with a purpose. He's letting you sense this. He's letting you feel this so that something will be accomplished. He's doing this because it would be a, with a purpose. Here's the big idea of the day, the big idea of the, of the day. I don't think that it's just the encounter with God that changes your life. Let me be clear. I don't think that it's just an encounter with God that changes your life. But I do believe, now listen to me, I do believe that it's an encounter with God and the something and the follow-up that God would want you to do is what changes your life. It's not just hearing God, but it's now doing something about whatever God has told you to do. We need an encounter with God that points us to something that makes life make sense. God is wanting you to use you and to use me so that for others, especially those who are far from God, especially those who don't really believe in a God, who have no hope and no direction, God wants to use you and I to make life make sense for them. And if you don't hear anything else that I'm going to tell you, whether you're a believer or a non-believer, whether you believe it or not, God has a call on your life. He has a call on every one of, your li every one of you. We are not here to just survive on this planet. The scriptures that I read to you a few moments ago are about the fact God's ordained you to be here at this time and in this place. So we're not here to just work 40, 50, 60, 70 hours a week, get our paycheck, go home, pay the bills, kiss the kids, kiss your wife, and then head out the door again and do it again next week. Or your husband, however you, your house is set up. That's not the way that God has called it. God has a call on your life, sir, on your life, ma'am, and you are here in this time, in this time of human history, this place on the globe that we're living with a very specific, unique, unique assignment from God himself. <clears throat> just so you know and as so that you would understand, because you are assigned by God to be here, you and you and you and all of you, you will make a difference with your, you will make a difference in the lives of the many people that you are around on a regular basis. Your life with your DNA, with your giftings, with your talents has all been created by God himself for you. He wants to use you. He wants you to be a conduit of his love and grace. God wants to use you and he has you exactly where he wants you. And hear me on this. God wants you to make a difference for his kingdom. There's going to be a day that my friend, we're gonna give an answer to God about our lives here. What we did or didn't do for the kingdom. And we need to do that because you have been chosen by God. You have been called by God. And what you do in that and making a difference in the lives of others, other peoples, is going to bring you fulfillment as well. When you are helping others, when you're serving others, when you're speaking into the lives of other people, it also, it brings fulfillment upon you. And when you do that, when you do what God has gifted you to do and called you to do, it will make life make sense. This makes sense now. This makes sense. Go with me to 1 Peter 2.9. 1 Peter 2.9. I'm almost done here. 1 Peter 2.9. And it says these words, but you, I love this, what Peter says. Rem uh, memorized this years ago. 
But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into your marvelous light. Do you hear what Peter is saying? Peter is saying to Randy Chiz, Peter is saying to you, whoever you are, male and female alike, God is, uh, Peter is saying, God has chosen you. He's chosen you to live at this time in this place. God has chosen you and you have a royal assignment and you are a holy nation. When you are a holy nation, that means as, as believers, you are set apart. God has set you apart for himself, his own special people, we as the church. So let me ask you personally without an answer, who are you? Who are you? Are you an engineer? Well, if you're an engineer here today, you're not just any old engineer, but you are God's own special engineer. God has called you to do what you're doing, and you're doing it. Maybe you're a doctor, or maybe you're a nurse, or maybe you're in the medical profession, uh, uh, professional. And I want to ask you, do you realize who you really are? You're not just a doc, you're not just a nurse, but you have been chosen by God to do what you're doing, and you're doing it right now. So do it for his glory and do it for his honor. Maybe you're a mechanic, or maybe you're a bus driver, or a student. Maybe you're just a mom, or a dad, or a grandma, and a grandpa, whoever, whatever you may be. You need to understand that what Peter is saying to us here is that you're not just any old bus driver. You're not just any old mechanic. You're not just any whatever you do, and whoever you may be as a mother, or father, whatever. You have been chosen by God to do and to be what God has called you to do. God declares in his word that you are not just in anybody, but you are a somebody that's been chosen by God to make a difference. If you agree with God, give him a round of applause. I've been called by God to make a difference. I close off with this. I want to share with you three very quick encounters with a particular individual in the, in the word of God in the Old Testament. Um, and that person that I want to talk about is Isaiah. Isaiah, actually... And, and uh, go with me to, um, where, where is that scripture in? Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. <clears throat> Actually, at this particular moment, as we're about ready to be reading this, Isaiah is a prophet, a great prophet. You'll know why he became the greatest of all prophets at the conclusion of this in just a moment. But um, Isaiah is not doing well right now. Life isn't going good for him. King Uzziah died. He loved Uzziah. He loved the king very, very much, and he, and he ended up dying. So um, Isaiah is really down in the dumps, to say it kindly, I guess. So there's three things, three things that God desires from each and every one of us. Number one, God wants to reveal himself to you. God wants to reveal himself to you, no matter how bad life may be. No matter how, how difficult things may be in your life, no matter how dark and confused it may be for you, God wants to reveal himself to you. Whether we're on top of a mountain and everything is going great and wonderful, or if we're down in the valley, we're, we're at our weakest moments, our most difficult times, like Isaiah is at this particular time that God is giving him this encounter. God will reveal himself to you anywhere, anytime, and he will do it. God wants you to know that he can make himself known to you anytime, anywhere. It could be at home, it could be in your office, it could be in your car, it could be while you're taking a shower or while you're on vacation, it could be while you're at church on a Sunday morning, take that. Or how about even if you were in your own prayer closet, however it is that you pray and seek after the God of heaven. All you have to do is to want it. All you have to do is to pursue it. It's to make room for, for it to happen and desire it. 
And again, be in hot pursuit for God. So let me read to you the first three verses, Isaiah chapter 6. This is wonderful. This is the New Living Translation. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I, I saw the Lord. What he saw is beyond imagination for me, personally. I saw the Lord, and he was sitting on a high, lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, angels, each having six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet, and with two, they flew. And they were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Listen, God can be found by you, but you need to actively seek him. You need to go into his presence and seek after him. This means, that means for you and for me, anyhow, I believe this means that in this fast-paced world that we're living in today, everybody seems to be going nowhere fast. Everybody seems to be doing the exact same thing every single day. And what are they really accomplishing? What is really happening? So I'm going to ask you as your pastor for today, maybe this is your first time, second or third time, at least for today as your pastor, slow yourself down. Still your heart and your soul. Find a place to be alone and listen. Listen to God. Because God wants to meet with you. God wants to meet with you. He wants to speak with us. Go after God. Have some personal prayer time and worship. You and God. In my offices, all kinds of amps to make my music nice and loud. And, and I go in there just about every single morning before I come in here to pray. And I have a song or two that I'm blasting. Singing my heart out. Trying to be as good a singer as those other people are that are singing those songs. And it never works out right. But anyhow, get into that place of worship between you and God. Dig deep into His Word. Close the word. I just suggested to you Isaiah 41.10. Memorize that. Memorize that. You're going to need it. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Is what Isaiah 41.10 says. The second thought, the second issue, or the second experience that he had. God will settle the issues of your yesterdays. God will settle the issues of your yesterdays. God will directly confront that thing that is in the way. That thing that keeps you and me from fulfilling the mission of what God has called for your life. And I will tell you, I will tell you why, why some of us never fulfill the call that God has in your life. Here's the reason why. It will never happen for some of you. Because of your past. Because of what you've done. You don't deserve this. There's no way that God would ever speak to you. There's no way that you would have a, what did he say, epiphany? That's never going to happen to you. Because of your past. Because of our past. Maybe because of our yesterdays or our problems or our stuff or the sin or the shame that we're in. Listen to what happened with Isaiah in verses 4 and 5. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations. When, when the angels cried, holy, holy, holy. The Bible says here, the temple shook to its foundations and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over. I'm doomed for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. But yet I have seen the king, 
the Lord of heaven's armies. No, God, I, I can't get too close. I can't get too close to you because I have a past. I, I, I cuss, I swear. I talk bad about other people. I'm involved with all kinds of addictions. I have an attitude issue. The people I hang out with are not all that good either. Verses six and seven. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal and taken from the altar with a pair of tongs and he touched my lips and with it said, see this coal has touched your lips. Your guilt, your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. In other words, when we get close to God, he will reveal himself to you in all of his glory. He will do that for you and I. But the next thing he does is to settle every issue of your past. Every issue of your past that is in the way. I hate what I did at 17 years old. I hate it. I despise it. I feel like I let God, and I did let God down. I despise whatever happened to me on that day. But I want to tell you the good side of the story. Even though I fell fast and hard and went back into sin at 17 years old, in early 1974, God's plan for me was bigger than I would ever imagine. For you see, the way God brought me back was through the most beautiful woman on the planet, the most amazing, the greatest. She's smoking hot. And her name is Marianne, my high school sweetheart. Because in 19, 1974, in February, I believe it was, is when Marianne ended up becoming born again as well and gave her life to Jesus. And she became radically saved too. And as soon as that happened to her, I immediately raised my hands and said, God, forgive me of my sin. Become the Lord and leader of my life. And he's been doing that ever since. I got stinking chills going up and down my arms right now. Talk about tingly wingleys. Thank you, God. God wants to set you free. God wants to liberate you of all the stuff of your past that has brought pain and heartache and brokenness and sin in your life. God wants to reverse the curse that has been placed on you. Isaiah, Isaiah encounters shows how quickly, how powerfully God will reverse the curse in a person's life if you did that. As soon as Marianne got saved, I, I did the same thing. She was at this church, Catholic church. She gave her life to Jesus and I gave my life back to Jesus as well. And we've been serving him together these 45 years of our married life. Point number three and last point. God wants to give you a seemingly impossible vision, an impossible work that needs to be done. God wants to give you a seemingly impossible vision and work that would need to be done. God presented to Isaiah this profound, overwhelming, profound, overwhelming task, a work that would need to be done. Here's what God said to Isaiah. He said something like this. I need to send someone who will speak on my behalf to these people who have unclean lips. You remember me reading that in the scriptures. Unfilthy, unclean lips. The assignment that I have, Isaiah, is not gonna be a walk in the park for you. It will be met with challenge after challenge. The people that you will speak with will not always be receptive and not always be repentive. But Isaiah, I love them. I love every one of them. And I want them to know my grace. And I want them to know my mercy. And I want them to know that their life can change if they would just draw closer to God. I want them to know. But how am I going to do that? 
Who will I send? Who will go for me? Who will go for us? Verse 8 of that same chapter, Isaiah would respond. He says, then I heard the Lord asking, whom shall I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And I said, Isaiah says, I said, here am I. Send me. Here am I. Send me. I want to be used by God in any way that he would see fit for me. I want to be used by God. And in verse 9, God then responds and God says, yes, go and say this. And say this to this people. Isaiah became one of the greatest prophets, one of the greatest spokesmen for God in all of human history. God is not a goosebump God, just in case you didn't know. It's not just simply a goosebump that we would get, giving you the tingly winglies, just so that you can sit back and say, that felt good. It goes much deeper than that. God has an assignment for your life, a call for your one and only life, that you would encounter an aha moment with God. And you would have a glory that would reflect the light and the life of our God and the hope of our God. And he will settle your issues of yesterday. I promise you that. He will settle your issues of yesterday. Don't allow your past, don't allow your, the sin and the wrong of yesterday's hold you back from God. Ask God to forgive you. He will every time. All of that God has called you and I to be will be complete and it will make life make sense. Would you stand with me to your feet? We're going to sing one last song if I could have our intercessors come right down. We're going to sing one last song of our worship set. Today, if you're here and you've not yet given your life to Jesus, I'm not asking you to join our church. I'm asking you to consider just saying to Jesus today, become the Lord and leader of my life. Or would you forgive me of my sin? I want to live for you. I believe in you, Lord Jesus. Help me from this day forward. Something simple like that. The Bible doesn't give us a prayer that you say these words. It's being surrendered and submitted to God. And as we're singing this last song, I'm going to challenge you to do that, that you would surrender your life to Jesus, and we'll let you go. If you'd like prayer for anything at all, these intercessors have been in prayer for the last hour, and they're here to pray for you for whatever need. And we have seen some pretty cool miracles taking place at Word of Life, and I believe he'll still do that. Let's go ahead.